So uh, today, we are going to open our Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We're going to look here at one event that I think as a missionary and as a, uh, as a Christian who is not a Jew is very, very important. This event is a very, very important event in our history. And, um, and I, it just has changed so many things. You know, th- this event was just a key event in my salvation and your salvation. And I think we need to take a look at it today. So, so Acts chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 7 right now. And then we're going to jump up to chapter 8 and look at verse 1. <clears throat> So it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So here we have the situation in Jerusalem. It's a young church, and everyone is excited. Things are happening. Even priests are coming to faith. And it says in in, uh, chapter 5, verse 26, that the officers, the high priest sent to round up the, uh, the apostles, they were afraid of the, of, the, of the apostles and because they were thought, if we go and use force with these guys, everyone in the whole place is going to stone us, is what it says. And in chapter 2, it says the church was enjoying favor with all the people. And so you have this situation where the church is, is growing, the priests are coming. You know, I can picture these guys sitting there talking to each other going, I wonder when old Caiaphas is going to get saved, you know, when, 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 the, when, the, when the high priest is going to come to Christ. And we're just going to all have this great, you know, fellowship here, and it's, it's just growing. And There's a little persecution and some threatening here and there, but nothing really that was stopping the growth of the church. And so, now, let's jump to chapter 8, and we'll look at verse 1. In the second half of verse 1, and it says, At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So something major happened between chapter 6, verse 7, and chapter 8, verse 1. So we see the situation is changed from calm to a storm. It's from sunny to cloudy, from peace to to persecution in a matter of hours, maybe. Maybe a matter of days, but, but not more than that. You know, the, from this confidence, the church is confident, growing, has influence, to everyone is running away. And uh, that happens in our life sometimes, right? Sometimes things are, look like they're growing, things look like they're happening, and then something happens in a matter of minutes, and, we, and everything is changed and things are difficult, and things are cloudy, and things just change in a matter of minutes sometimes. And so, so what was it that caused this thing in the church in Jerusalem? It was the martyrdom of Stephen, the first martyr of a follower of Jesus. The word, the word martyr, we know it to mean someone who died because of their belief, right? Someone who had faith and died for their faith. And the original Greek word martyr means 
to have so much faith that you'd be willing to die for it, you know? And so, so it, anyway, so Stephen is, is the first martyr. The next person who, who dies for their faith in Jesus is James, the brother of John, and that's in chapter 12. So Stephen is, is the first guy, and he's not an apostle. He's an elder. He just got appointed an elder. Um, it says, uh, says here in chapter 6, verse 5, that they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And, and he was set before the apostles with some others and, and set up as an overseer, an elder-type person. And so he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit's power. So let's read chapter 6, verse 8, and we're going to go until 7, verse 1, and uh, let's see what happens to this guy. So Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia. And notice that they're from Cilicia and Asia, and that's the same place that Paul is from the Apostle Paul, who's called Saul at this time. We'll see him in a second, but, but he could have been involved in this dispute in some way, and we know he was later on, so let's see what happens. But these guys from the synagogue of the freedmen disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So they had this, this theological argument, and they, they just couldn't, they couldn't get past, what they couldn't win the argument. Then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. So these guys, they couldn't win a fair fight, so they had to go to dirty means and, and got a bunch of guys to start saying, we've heard him speak blasphemy against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes. And they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. And then the high priest said, are these things so? Does this situation sound familiar? Kind of like what happened to Jesus not too long before that, right? And so, so uh, you know, some of these accusations are some of the same accusations that they had against Jesus even, you know. And, and most of these accusations are actually against Jesus. So if you look at this, we've heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now why would he say that? They're, they're probably twisting because, because Stephen was probably saying, that Jesus is greater than Moses, and that Jesus is the Son of God. Just what Jesus said about himself. And we'll, we'll see that in a second in, in Stephen's speech. And it says, they, we've heard him say that the Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. All the same stuff they were saying against Jesus, just to stir people up, you know, and, not, and none of it's really based in, in the truth. So, but the accusations really are against Jesus. When people are attacking you for your faith, they're really attacking Jesus. You know, they're not really attacking you. They're attacking you because of Jesus and what he did and, and that you believe in him, yeah. But their issue's really not with you. Their issue's with Jesus. And so, that, you know, they, they were upset. 
just like they were with Jesus, that they were losing influence and uh, they, couldn't, they just couldn't win an argument with this guy. And we'll see why in a second. Um, so, so, Stephen has these accusations against him. That, that he's saying things against God, against Moses, and against the temple. So, Stephen says, the high priest says in verse 1, are these things so? And so Stephen says, basically, okay, you want to talk about God? You want to talk about Moses? You want to talk about the temple? Let's talk about Moses, God, and the temple. And, uh, and I'm going to give you a little history lesson, is what he said, basically. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to take you through our entire history as a, the people of, of Israel, Jews, and, and, I will, uh, and let's talk about these things that you're talking about right now. So, he doesn't really even answer the high priest's question, but he, he gets right to the heart of the issue. So in verse 2 of chapter 7, and he said, Stephen, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I'll show you. And then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. So Abraham got on his camel and came to the land that we, uh, we know as Israel. And he's called a friend of God in the scripture. Why is he called a friend of God? Because God actually spoke to him face to face. He came down and ate with Abraham. And so here we have God coming in the form of a man and speaking with with Abraham. And that's one of these things these guys are saying against Jesus, that that God doesn't come down in the form of a man. He can't be God's son because God, you know, how how can he be? It's really, you know, they're attacking Jesus' deity and, and Stephen is saying, Jesus is God, and, uh, and he's saying, God can come down and speak and eat and be a, be a person, and he did it in the form of Jesus, and this is, you know, so he's, he's defending it through this thing of Abraham. And the other thing we see this story, this quick short thing of Abraham, is that God has promises for the people of Israel, and, and promises that he keeps. And so, so uh, first of all, he promised a good thing that you're going to be in this land, I'm going to give it to you as a possession. Then the second thing he said, but you're also going to be in bondage for 400 years, and then you're going to come out. And and they had this covenant of circumcision. So before Moses, before before there was the law, there was a covenant. And we see that here. And so in verse 9, he moves on to Joseph. And we're doing this kind of quick because we kind of have to. Because my dad said I couldn't go over 25 minutes this time like I did last time. So, and the patriarchs, 
in verse 9, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt with all his house. And now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, and our fathers, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, or Shechem, as you know. Um, so here we have Jacob, I mean Joseph, I'm sorry. And Joseph is, is here an image of Jesus. Joseph was rejected by the fathers of the tribes of Israel. He was sent away and rejected by the people, and then he saved them from death later on. You see? So, so, so the, the, the fathers, our, our great fathers, were the ones who rejected Joseph, and then Joseph saved them. And you see how that's like a picture of Jesus, right? So then, <clears throat> we move on um, to, uh, to Moses. And this is the, you know, the big one, because this is the big accusation. They're saying things against Moses. So, let's see what happens. In verse 17, But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, to the end of this 400 years of bondage, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, until another king arose who did not know Joseph. And this man dealt treacherously, treacherously, with our people and oppressed our fathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. And at this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. Now, I don't really know how Moses was well-pleasing to God at three months, but he was. And at this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, right? In verse 21. And when, but when he was set out, but when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in his words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile, saying, Reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he, who did this, but he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? And then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. And then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. 
So this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one that God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And he brought them out after he showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. So, another story, and, and the whole point of this is to, to point out that Moses was rejected also by the people. They said, who are you? Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? We don't want anything to do with you. And so he, was, he fled, and then God sent him, it says in, in uh, verse 35, that God sent him to be a ruler and deliverer. Now, what does that remind you of? <laughs> so, so the one who was rejected, Jesus, the one who was rejected by the people, was sent to be a deliverer. And ruler also. He hasn't, he hasn't shown that ruling power yet on earth, but he will. And, uh, and so, so, so we see that he, he, he just keeps tightening the noose on these guys. As, he, as, as they're, they're, they're saying, you're saying things against Moses. You're saying things against, against God. And, and he keeps showing them, hey, it's your you guys are the ones who are wrong here. What about the history books? Remember what actually happened? How Moses was rejected and then was the deliverer? Well, Jesus also. And he doesn't actually say that, but everybody knows exactly what he's saying. And then in verse 37, this is the Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. So, so Moses himself said someone else is going to come and he's going to be as powerful as me. That means as you should follow him like you follow me. And, uh, and, and this is a verse that, um, that many, it, many Jewish people have a hard time understanding because you know, it's, it's obvious that it's talking about Jesus to us, but it's not, it's not obvious to them. You know? And so, so this is one thing to point out to, to Jewish people. Hey, Moses himself said a prophet like him will come. Who do you think that could be? In, uh, in verse 38, Stephen starts to shift away from this focus on Moses and he starts to shift toward the people of Israel. And so he says here, <clears throat> this is he who was in the congregation, Moses, in the wilderness when the, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us. This is Moses we're talking about, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. They rejected him a second time here, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offering sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their hands. And then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphom, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away unto, beyond Babylon. <clears throat> Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, 
who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? So, so he's bringing his little history lesson to a close here. And he, and he says, so what about the people of Israel? What, about, what did they do? They rejected Moses. They rejected God. They turned to a golden calf, kind of like this one here. And they, they, uh, they, they continued to turn away from God all through the days when they had the tabernacle, when they had the temple, when they had Solomon's glorious temple, they still were turning away from God. Continuously, over and over again. Um, <clears throat> so, then, like any good preacher, Stephen brings in the personal application in verse 51. And uh, like any good churchgoers, his hearers respond to his message, right? So he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, using a lot of Old Testament language here, you stiff-necked people, God calls the, uh, the Israeli people stiff-necked many times in the Old Testament, and uncircumcised in your heart and your ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. And which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who've received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. <clears throat> so he turns directly to them. He says, this is history, and you guys fit right into the flow. You're, you're just going right with the flow of history, the way that the, the nation of Israel has acted for hundreds of years. You're just right in line with that. And you, just like they rejected Moses, just like they rejected Joseph, you rejected the, the, the prophets who foretold the, the coming of the just one, and now you have become the betrayers and murderers of the Messiah of Jesus, Yeshua. <clears throat> and so, obviously, they, they uh, responded in uh, the way you can imagine people controlled by the flesh would respond. And uh, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Everybody gnash at me with your teeth. <laughs> it's just something I can't really imagine. I don't really know how to gnash at someone with my teeth. You know what I mean? I don't know how to do that. But they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he wasn't really bothered by this behavior. He looked, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked into heaven. <clears throat> and they saw... And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And so, <clears throat> so, uh, so when this happens, there's a whole bunch of little things happening here. The chief priest, who's probably the same chief priest who, who put Jesus on the cross, really, he's remembering what Jesus said. And in, in Matthew and Mark, it says that Jesus said, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father in his glory, you know? And, 
And so the chief priest remembers that Jesus told him that. And now here's this guy, Stephen, saying that he sees him standing at the right hand of the Father. Not sitting, standing in a a position of authority. And and so this, this is also pretty encouraging for Stephen at this point. And, you know, I think Stephen probably could have guessed that he wasn't going to make it out of this confrontation alive. You know, I, I don't know if he knew for sure, but he's sitting there going, the whole city is against me. They got me in this council. He's remembering what they did to Jesus and how that's not too far back. And, uh, and sitting there, and he knows this is probably his time. You know, you got the mob against you. What are you going to do? And, and so, um, so Jesus says, here I am. I'm standing with you. And then Stephen puts his eyes on Jesus, and he doesn't take his eyes off until his eyes close. And I would imagine he keeps him on after that, too. <laughs> keeps him on Jesus after that as well. Because you see here, from the time he says that, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Everything he says, he's talking directly to Jesus. So then these guys, they cry out with a loud voice, these angry uh, people who are, are pretty upset. And they stopped their ears, because they don't want to hear it, and they ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at, uh, at the foot of someone named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge him with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So Stephen also is an image of Jesus. You know, in his life, he was willing to serve. We don't really know anything about him, except for the fact that he was full of the Holy Spirit and power and and he did things. He was willing to serve. But then in his death, he's also like Jesus himself, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Do not charge them with this sin. Forgive them. He doesn't quite go as far as Jesus did, saying they don't know what they're doing, because I think by this time the guys knew what they were doing. But, but uh, he says, don't charge them with this sin. Even though they know what they're doing, let it, let it go. And Saul is standing there, and so he's praying for Saul himself, included in that prayer, who becomes the one who wrote most of our New Testament. So, so in his life and his death, Stephen also is an image of Jesus. So we go to the next slide here. And I'm just wrapping this up now. So why would, why would God let this happen? Right? I mean, here you, have, here you have someone who loves God, who, who is following God, who is in a role of service in the church, and, and I thought God was supposed to be our protector, right? I thought God was supposed to be our shield. I thought he was supposed to keep away all evil from us, right? And so, you know, this definition of his history, I think, is, is good. God carrying out his plan his way. And so we've got several different histories in this story. We've got Stephen's personal history, right? He's been 
he, he became a believer somehow. He's serving God with all of his heart, and he has a victorious ending, you know? Does Stephen, you know, he, 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 he stands up, and the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. He sees Jesus and goes to be with him, and for him, it's victorious, you know? And, and it's his story, but, and it's ending for him. But, but he's not too upset about it, I don't think. And, and then you have, you know, uh, this little church in Jerusalem, right? They're, they're, they're become scattered, like it says here. They, they, they go all over the country. You know, they're, they're, they're sad because of their friend getting killed brutally. But look what they do. It says uh, in verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. They were very sad. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Something really bothered him about this scene. Something really struck him to the core about this scene and changed. He just couldn't get it out of his head. So he just had to destroy everything a bit to do with Jesus. So therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So this little church, they were safe. They were confident. They were together. And they got scattered everywhere. And what did they do? They went everywhere preaching the word. Now, you know, in Acts, in the first chapter, in verse 8, God says that they will be his, Jesus says to the disciples, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right? Now, these guys were doing a great job in Jerusalem. Priests were coming to know God, coming to know God through Jesus. You know, it was still going great in Jerusalem, but that's pretty much the only place it was going great. And so, so if this hadn't happened, there might still just be a little uh, group of Jewish believers in Jerusalem today who just, hey, this is great for us, and, you know, we're having a great time. We tend to get safe, you know. We tend to get in these zones of... of uh, we know what we need to do and we just keep doing those things over and over and, and this is my life and my, my routine and we get into that and, and, and sometimes God wants to shoot us out of that routine because he's got some other plan and we don't necessarily like that plan all the time but these guys stayed faithful even though they probably didn't like the fact that they were running into the wilderness to be safe but they, they stayed faithful preaching the word. Um, So, it seems that things always make more sense when we look at life, especially when we look at life, and especially the tragedies, when we look at them through God's eyes. You know, he's got some sort of different picture. And sometimes he shares that picture with us a little bit, where we can sort of understand why this happened. But sometimes we have no idea, you know, and... The thing that I think is, when we come to those situations, we have to say, you know what? Who cares why? You know, like we have to let it go. We have to say, I am going to follow him even in this pain, even in this, even in this difficulty. I'm going to keep moving forward and telling people about Jesus because that's the only hope I have. You know, in the middle of getting stoned 
Stephen is looking at Jesus, and, and Jesus is standing with him. And he, he may or may not have understood exactly all the reasons why he was the one who was going to get stoned. You know, it probably could have happened to anyone. These things were starting to boil up, you know, but they, they chose this guy, Stephen, is the one we're going to take down. And, and he may have not known why. And maybe his family didn't know why either. But he looked up and saw Jesus standing with him in that pain, in that time of need. And so sometimes we have to just say, you know what? I don't know why, but I'm trusting my Savior and his good plan. Um, my friend Tom, my friend Tom, his, <coughs> excuse me, his wife died of cancer last Saturday. And uh, four years, very, very long battle. And, uh, and so, you know, nine brain surgeries, at the end, she, she's, she's pretty much paralyzed. <laughs> and he, he's very sad, you know, to lose her. Um, but he's also really joyful. And uh, he, he said that the, the, the people around him, especially the people who are, you know, in these, like, situations who, who are, are not believers, they seem very, very sad. And they, they're more, more sad than he is, you know. And, and so he said to me, you know, she's not dead now. She's more alive. I was talking to him on Friday. He said, you know, she's not dead. This, she's more alive now than ever. And this is my reality. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's our reality too. He, he kind of upset the lady at the, the, the uh, crematorium or whatever it is where they do the cremation. He, he goes there to pick up his wife's remains. And, and the guy, the person has a very somber face and says, here, here's your wife's remains. You know, really looking very sad. So he picks up the thing and he says, looks like you lost some weight, Amy. <laughs> you know? But like, he's not, it, he's trusting in Jesus and she's trusting in Jesus and that simple faith is what saved her and, you know, her last, her last awake moment was when, when he, he led her mother and her sister to Christ over the internet through Skype. And, and so, so then when she knew that happened, she let go and, 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 and just lost consciousness and never came back. And uh, so, so what about my history? What about your history? Do we have any pain, any tragedy? Um, uh, Pastor Joe Paskowitz in Connecticut, he says, every heart has pain and every family has trouble. And you have to just count on that. You know, every heart has pain and every family has trouble. And so he, God may not be calling up you to stand up for your faith in a way that costs you your physical life right now, you know, where you are going to die a painful death because of that. You know, who knows what's going to happen in the next 50 years in this country? I don't know. But... But right now, he may not be doing that. But he probably is calling you to die to yourself and put his plan first. You know, we don't know the whole plan. You don't know the whole history that he's building. He isn't, you don't even know the story he's building in your life. But, but we don't want to be like those priests, the high priest and, and his cronies, rejecting God's plan, rejecting the chosen one, rejecting Jesus. We want, to, we want to accept 
him. And so, so, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you don't know that he has died for your sins and that he loved you, if you haven't accepted his love, you know, this, it's not about joining a church. It's not about being part of this church or any other church. It's about knowing Jesus and accepting his love. And so if you have not done that this morning, I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that. And so why don't we all close our eyes, bow our heads. And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior this morning, he's ready to come into your life and give you new hope, new life, and ready to change your future forever. And so, so just pray with me if, if, uh, if you'd like to do that. And, and like I said, it's just about knowing Jesus, a personal relationship with him. It's not about this church or anybody in this church. It's about knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. So let's pray. <clears throat> pray like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I confess to you that I am a sinner and that I need you to save me. And I'm not going to reject you anymore. Right now, I accept your love. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your mercy and your grace. I give you the rest of my life to do with whatever you want. And I make you my Lord and my King. Please walk with me and stand with me as you stood with Stephen as I face the difficult times. And it's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. And so, just keep your heads down for a second. If, any, if anyone prayed that prayer, I want you to look at me right now. I'd like to know that you prayed that prayer. Awesome. Praise God. Awesome. Well, we've got some new members of the family. So, so if, if, if you want to, if you pray that prayer, I really would want you to come and talk to us afterward. My dad, uh, Pastor Rich, some of the elders will be up here. I want to talk to you. So we've got some stuff to give you, a free Bible, some, some other stuff. Just we'd like to pray with you and talk to you. So, so come up and talk to us, okay? We're going to sing one last song. And, uh, and if anybody else needs prayer as well, come up. We, we love to pray, so let's sing a song together.